this is just one unbelievable major experiment conducted on the human species. The mass vaccination has ultimately led to uh, immune escape. My background uh, is originally in veterinary uh, medicine, uh, but early on in my career I specialized in virology and immunology and molecular biology, and that was very much focused already on human diseases. I uh, stayed for quite a long time in, uh, in academia, working essentially on, uh, on viruses. And then I moved on to industry, where I worked as well in late development, close to the product, but also in early development in, uh, in R&D, uh, in vaccines, as, uh, so in the vaccine industry. I was also deeply involved in the Ebola crisis back five, six years ago in West Africa. I've always been uh, interested in solving uh, complex problems around vaccines, where you basically combine vaccinology, immunology, virology, uh, etc. When the pandemic started and when I heard, it, heard that, uh, you know, there was a plan to mass vaccinate populations in the middle of a pandemic, I immediately knew that this would have disastrous consequences. And that is how I got deeply involved and I started to raise my voice. It is, in fact, a fundamental principle that with uh, none of the vaccines that we currently make in you know, in, in the vaccine business, you cannot, you cannot protect people during a pandemic. And the reason is all of our, the vaccines we are making are prophylactic vaccines. That means you administer the vaccine before you are getting exposed to the virus. For example, you go to a foreign country where there is a certain disease that you want to be protected against. You're going to make sure that your vaccine schedule is fully completed before you travel to that country, so that your immune response is in place before you get potentially exposed to the virus, right? Here we, are, we were in a very different situation. The pandemic was going on already, of course, and then we started to vaccinate, and people need several vaccines to have a full-fledged immune response. But already after the first injection, for example, you got injected, you were not quarantined. You were back in society, of course, exposed to the virus while your immune response was still not mature. So that makes it easy for the virus to escape to that incomplete immune response. And that is how the virus starts to select certain mutants that can easily overcome uh, that immune response. Uh, so that is a, a fundamental principle, I would say, in vaccinology. And by the way, never ever never ever have we been doing mass vaccination during a pandemic. So it was completely unprecedented. I had a similar problem five, six years ago when I was deeply involved in the Ebola crisis, out with a vaccine that was also deployed under circumstances that were completely inadequate. And there also I raised my voice, but this was of course small scale because this was only like three countries in, in West Africa. So I reached out again to CDC, to NIH, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to the WHO, uh, FDA, uh, EMEA, uh, etc. And uh, I was pointing out, listen guys, this could be potentially dangerous. We need to discuss this. And there is a high risk that the virus will escape to this immune response to the vaccines and that it will further evolve. 
Of course, uh, back in those days, uh, six years ago, with the Ebola crisis, there was no response. I made a white paper. I discussed the science. Everybody wanted to see that paper. It circulated. It crossed the world. But nobody reacted to this. And this time it was exactly the same. I, of course, was not surprised. I expected this. There was only one, one vaccinologist who reacted to my call. It's probably, you know, the most renowned vaccinologist on the planet. I'm never ever disclosing his name. He's still active. He's world famous. And he literally responded to me in an email, which he would probably never ever do again. Geert, you are right. These vaccines are only going to breed variants, but nobody will listen to you because you go against mainstream. Even seasoned vaccinologists would know that this was not the right thing to do. But you go against mainstream and there are so many things, you know, interests involved that you cannot stop this. So I was not surprised. But nevertheless, of course, you know, I continued to uh, raise my voice because it's just a moral obligation. Even if you know, because at that age you are no longer naive, even if you know this is not going to have much impact because they are not going to listen, you have to do this. With the advent of Omicron, the infectiousness of the virus for the vaccinees, for the vaccinated people, or if you like, the susceptibility of the vaccinated people to get infection has dramatically increased. That was when Omicron uh, first um, first emerged. So yes, um, the mass vaccination has ultimately led to uh, immune escape. The extreme you know, result of this immune escape was Omicron, which in its own right was capable of provoking even more immune escape, expediting immune escape and caused the vaccine breakthrough infection. And you have seen as well that when Omicron came, that in highly vaccinated populations, the infection rate was in fact, you know, uh, increasing eh? quite dramatically even. When you put tremendous immune pressure on the virus, and when, when do you do that? You do this, of course, not when you vaccinate 5% of the population. But if you start vaccinating 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of the population, then the, the pressure on the virus is enormous. And then you will not expedite the mutations, but you will expedite the selection, the selection of particular mutations and of course, you will promote the dominant, the dominant expansion of this, of these mutants. We have kind of like compressed the evolution that would normally happen maybe over thousand, million years, maybe. I don't know. We have compressed this just within like one, one or one and a half year. We have seen an explosion of, of variants. And even right now, the highly infectious variants that are circulating, you will see the diversity, how the spectrum of these variants has expanded. It just, just blows you away. We, we have never, ever seen this. Before Omicron, we could still have intervened, etc. Now, we will not need the scientists to solve the problem. We will not need any more debate to solve this. We will not need, you know, very sophisticated discussions are on how mankind could intervene, etc. There is only one force that is going 
to clear and solve this problem, and that is nature. Nature will restore this balance because, you know, mankind has been out of control from the very beginning, and now it's even more obvious that this balance cannot be restored by mankind. Even if we stop all mass vaccination today, even if we had stopped all mass vaccination two, three months ago, Omicron is now self-fueling the pandemic, regardless of any additional boosters, regardless of any additional mass vaccination. Of course, mass vaccination after Omicron or boosters after Omicron have sped up the process. That's true. But the train is rolling and, you know, the train will roll till nature will have restored this balance. And of course, I'm not hiding as a scientist that this will take a huge toll, unfortunately, on human lives. Because you can detoxify people who are suffering from side effects, etc. But you cannot deprime an immune system. The numbers that we get, if we get any numbers, do not clearly distinguish between who has been hospitalized uh, because of COVID, with COVID, what exactly happened. Were the hospitalized primarily vaccinees or were they unvaccinated? You may remember that at, at the beginning, health authorities were so proud to say, oh yeah, but these are all unvaccinated people. And this was, this was true because at the beginning, the unvaccinated were not as well protected as the vaccinated because initially the vaccine protected against disease. So unvaccinated people who were frail, elderly people with underlying diseases, etc., were more susceptible to the disease. But then the virus was evolving, was building with Omicron more and more resistance to the antibodies induced by the vaccine. So all of a sudden the vaccinees became now more susceptible and the unvaccinated were better and better training their natural immunity and better and better protected. So this has now completely shifted, you see. But during this transition period, we have never known what exactly was the distribution between the unvaccinated and the vaccinated people in the hospitals and whether it was with COVID or because of COVID. And as you know, right now, there's barely any testing done anymore. So it's very, very, very difficult. And that is why it's so important that we scientists understand how this virus is evolving, because that is what helps us to track exactly how this is evolving amongst the vaccinees and the unvaccinated, etc. Because we know, first of all, that these vaccines cause a number of side effects that have been well documented. I mean, this is unambiguous. We also know that these vaccines lead to immune suppression, where other diseases like cancers, like chronic viral infections that are normally controlled by our immune system, like Epstein-Barr, like cytomegalovirus, for example, that all of a sudden you have these flare-ups of these diseases. So there are a number of reasons why vaccinated people are getting hospitalized, for example. It's not necessarily because of COVID, but of course they can test positive for COVID. You see how things are complex and interrelated and interconnected with each other and how none of our health authorities or health advisors is understanding anything of this because the biggest gap in the understanding and the assessment of the pandemic has been a huge gap in immunology, in the understanding of the immunological interactions between the virus and of course our immune system. Yeah. 
Well, natural immunity is always superior because it has a very important component, which is innate immunity that can be trained and that will eliminate the bulk of the viral load, something that the vaccines cannot do because they do not induce this cell-based innate immunity. The most important component of natural immunity is innate immunity. That is, so to say, our first line of immune defense. That is in every immunology textbook. The first line of immune defense is non-specific. It's not specific for a particular pathogen. It's non-specific. That is one thing. That's, that's a huge advantage. The disadvantage is that its capacity is rather limited. So you have to compare this with an army, with the infantry that is, you know, surveilling the borders of the country. They are not very specialized. So if the enemy who is trying to infiltrate the country is very, very strong, I mean, the infantry will eliminate some of them, but not everybody. So some of these enemies will penetrate, you know, through this first line of immune defense, and then you will have the special forces. These are the B and the T cells that will then very specifically be able to kill or to eliminate the enemies that managed to overcome this first line of immune defense. But what's very, very important is that nevertheless, the first line of immune defense eliminates, for example, 80% of the enemy, 80% of the virus. So that means that you have only like, you know, the, 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 the big viral load is first eliminated by your innate immunity. When the virus came, was completely new, where there was nihil adaptive immunity, and 90% of the population was protected, certainly against hospitalization and severe disease, what was this due to? In people where this innate immunity is very strong, children, young and healthy people, that's sufficient. That's sufficient. Their infantry is so strong that they don't even get a disease. That's what we have seen with the Wuhan strain at the beginning. There was a new strain. Nobody had ever seen this strain. So the population was what we call immunologically naive. Nevertheless, nevertheless, 90% of the population was protected. Young children didn't even get symptoms. Young and healthy people maybe got a disease, quite superficial symptoms, maybe some upper respiratory tract disease, but they were certainly not hospitalized. So their first line of immune defense was doing a fantastic job. And hence what is not well understood, although this is knowledge that has been published 20 years ago, but of course vaccinologists are not interested in this knowledge, is that innate immunity can even be trained. So that means that if you get regular, if your infantry gets regularly exposed to this enemy, the infantry will become better and better. And at the end of the day, the infantry in itself will be able to hold on the enemy. Right. That is the training of the innate immune system. This has to do, you know, in terms of immunology with epigenetic changes, you know, that are established and that help non-specific killer cells, non-specific that are part of the innate immunity to do a much better job. That's what we call training of the innate immune system. 
So what is the training? The training, what the training does is that this first reaction becomes even faster. That means like if normally the infected cell gets eliminated after two or three days, now it becomes maybe eliminated after one day. And that is why I'm always saying the best, the people that are best protected against COVID, against SARS-CoV-2, or right now, the unvaccinated people in highly vaccinated countries. Why? Because they get trained all the time. Because there is a huge circulation of virus in highly vaccinated populations. And the unvaccinated get trained and trained and trained. If you as an unvaccinated person becomes in, become infected, which, which can still be the case, the virus is going to be eliminated very, very fast because your trained immunity as a healthy person is, is really up to speed. That, of course, doesn't mean that you cannot be positive for like half a day, right? But that, you know, it doesn't matter. You won't have any symptoms. You won't be an asymptomatic carrier. If people are capable, healthy, unvaccinated, to eliminate a virus within 24 hours, you will see a dramatic, a dramatic diminishment of the viral transmission rate in the population. And that doesn't need to be zero. That does only to be low enough to prevent regular transmission of the virus. And if the virus cannot regular transmit because the frequency is too low, that is what you call herd immunity, right? And that is what will tame the virus, will force the virus into endemicity, where we have a situation like, for example, influenza, where you can have a seasonal peak. And, but, you know, as soon as the virus tries to spread, it will encounter full-fledged immunity of the population. That is herd immunity, and it will not be able, you know, to cause really a, a major outbreak, right? Because if people compare natural immunity with vaccine-induced immunity, they just compare the antibodies. They say, oh, natural immunity, yeah, the antibodies with the vaccines are much higher. It is because the innate immunity is so strong with natural immunity that in fact there is only very few enemies that manage to penetrate. And because there is only very few enemies, the immune system, the adaptive immune system gets barely stimulated. That is why the antibodies don't need to rise at high titers. You see, so, so that is, but that part is completely ignored, is completely forgotten. By the time these antibodies are going to increase, the antibody titers are going to increase, the majority of the viral load has been eliminated already. So the, these, these antibodies can no longer put the virus under immune pressure. Innate immunity is taking out the bulk of the viral load. In some people, this was sufficient to barely stimulate the adaptive immunity. So these people had barely any antibodies. The antibodies, this is just so insane. It, it, is, it is so blatantly illustrating that the immunology is not understood. There is absolutely no need to have a permanently high titer of antibody. It's even dangerous because if you are sitting on these high titers of antibodies, you get reinfected with a variant that is heterologous. The combination of these antibodies that do not recognize very well the variant could lead to enhanced disease and enhanced infection. 
our immune system is so fantastic. There is memory. So as soon as they see the variant again, you know, it will recall these antibodies in no time. There is absolutely no need because otherwise the immune system would not need to generate memory. That is what is memory for. That when you, you know, they see again the, uh, the pathogen, the antibodies will be recalled in it. So measuring the antibodies, comparing the titers, etc., it's just a nonsense. It, it, it doesn't take into account the innate immunity and it doesn't take into account the memory. So it's an absolute nonsense. Boosting and boosting and boosting will at the end completely exhaust your immune system. And that is also the reason why these immune effector cells, B and T cells, are no longer available. They are just fully concentrated on the spike of the coronavirus that uh, other pathogens you know, can no longer be controlled because these immune effector cells, the B cells and the T cells, are no longer available to keep them under control. Right? And that is also what people then call tolerance, etc. But of course, it's true. Uh, what is the effect of uh, having get, gotten one shot and then, uh, you know, being affected or two shots and being affected or vice versa? Not to talk about the effect of all the possible and impossible combinations of first being vaccinated with mRNA, then with a non-mRNA vaccine or, you know, everything got mixed up. Normally, it, it requires 10 years of research, clinical studies to, to change, to do something like this. Even changing one ingredient in your vaccine may require several years doing clinical studies. Here, everything is mixed up, etc. It just, my big conclusion of the whole thing is that is, this is just one unbelievable major experiment conducted on the human species. By doing the mass vaccination, we have driven this into a very dangerous path where we are conducting a gain-of-function experiment on human beings, you know, at a very, very large scale. This has never, ever happened before in, in, in biology. And, and that is a kind of gain-of-function that is much, much more problematic. So my book is primarily uh, analyzing the... Um, components, I would say, that underlie the evolutionary dynamics of the pandemic. People have to realize this is an interplay between the virus and the immune system, right? And is continuously, both are continuously interacting. And what I wanted to do is to analyze and to make clear what are the underlying forces that drive this interaction, this interplay, and ultimately drive the evolutionary dynamics of the virus. Because if you start to understand those underlying forces, you can start to make predictions. And if you start to make predictions, you know, society can benefit from this. Society is not benefiting from post hoc an analysis of all kinds of mutations. You know, what the scientists do, I call them the mut mutational stamp collectors. You know, when the mutations are already there, then it's too late. And then, of course, they characterize them immunologically, biophysically, etc. And they, they write publications. But it's too late. It's post hoc. You have to know where is this going? Which mutations can we expect in the future? 
if you don't understand the underlying forces behind the dynamics of the, of, of the pandemic, you can never, ever do this. So that is one thing. The second thing, which is, of course, immediately connected to this, is that I wanted absolutely to document this, to show that there is a very strong scientific rationale that if you apply this, is able to predict the evolution of the pandemic. I absolutely wanted to do this so that never, ever anybody could say, oh, wow, this was totally unpredictable. We could not know this. This has never happened in the past, etc. My conclusion and the conclusion of the book is very, very clearly that nothing was so predictable than the detrimental consequences that vaccination, mass vaccination during a pandemic would have, right? And I wanted to document this. I wanted also to show people where this is going because at the end of the day, there is only one major question that remains unanswered. How, for God's sake, where is this going to end? Where is this going to end? Nobody gives you that answer. Certainly not our health authorities, certainly not our health advisors, because those guys have absolutely no clue what is currently happening. And that is the purpose of my, of my book. It will be available as an electronic copy, as a hard copy. It will be published in the US, in Europe. It will be available on uh, bol.com, Amazon, etc.